What you are about to hear is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries of Spring Lake, Michigan. Your teachers are Don and Becky Smith, and this first session is from the 2019 Bridge to Life Couples Weekend. The focus, prioritizing your marriage. This morning, uh, I would like to um, finish up our rooms, and uh, then we'll get to our special time of uh, just um, focusing on the Lord. But um, so let's get back in the mindset, at least I need to, in the sense of what are we doing? We're inviting Jesus to take and walk through the rooms of our marriage relationship. And if we can visualize that in the sense of um, him coming in, we open the door, we invite him, we're a little bit leery about what he's going to see, what he's going to think. Hopefully we've tried to do a little house cleaning before he got there, uh, arrives, it's kind of like the idea of you hire a house cleaner, but you clean before the house cleaner gets there. You know, you're, you're trying to fix things up to make them look nice. But uh, Jesus comes in, and he begins to just kind of stroll through, not in a hurry, just observing, asking questions, uh, commenting on different things, not condemning, but rather he's deeply concerned about what's going on in our marriage relationship. And uh, so, so we've looked at uh, several aspects uh, already. The IT room, the living room, uh, the kitchen dining room, the bedroom. And just um, what would he have to say? What are questions we should be asking as we look at ourselves? So this morning I want to finish up. Uh, and we're on page 11 in our notes of the recreation room. And some of these are going to be a little bit brief Uh, some a little bit longer, but on the recreation room, the recreation room is a room where we break away from the daily burdens and busyness of our life to enjoy and pursue each other. This is an area where Becky and I had to uh, spend some time working on. When we first started Bridge Life Ministries, uh, we have little kids. We had four or fifth one on the way, and then uh, busy Literally, I was teaching the married classes three times a week, uh, counseling 30-some hours, and trying to get this organization going. And, uh, I mean, we were just busy. And uh, the ministry was growing, and so we called in a consultant to take in, uh, like, how can we help this ministry grow in the right way? One of the things uh, the consultant did, a dear godly man, is he said uh, he spent time talking about my life and also our marriage relationship. Well, technically, we hired you to help the organization, not us. But uh, his thinking was, but you guys are the ones who are going to either make or break this uh, organization. And so uh, one of the questions he asked was, um, how much time do you spend together and uh, what do you do and such? And we said, well, we're, you know, one is we're flat broke and second is... Um, so we really can't afford any nice getting out or dates and such. And we got the kids and we're busy with ministry, but we're planning on it. Well, when was the last time you did it? And we couldn't think back when was the last time we had a date uh, as such. Because that means also hiring a babysitter. It, isn't, it wasn't as expensive then as it is now, but it was expensive for us. And so uh, he said, take and... Uh, uh, 
so back then we didn't have like the electronic stuff. And uh, he said, uh, get out your day timer and write in there every, what day do you want your date night, Friday night, and block that out. Nothing can interfere with that. So I did, and um, um, we decided that um, we could afford a babysitter and to go to Denny's for um, pie. That's about all we could afford. And so we arranged that. We went to Denny's, and uh, we ordered a Coke also. There were rules. Yes. We had to talk, but we couldn't talk about work or ministry, and we couldn't talk about our kids. Which well, leaves a lot left to talk, talk about. about? <laughs> <laughs> and so literally, we're sitting there in Denny's, and I distinctly remember, we're devouring our pie and drinking our Coke, and we finished, we, we got finished, and we looked at each other and realized we had not said one word to each other <laughs> during that whole time. And we just broke out laughing, like, is that how bad we've gotten? That if we can't talk about the ministry and, and what's going on and the kids, uh, we have nothing in common? And that kind of woke us up to the point that we got to start taking this more serious. we got to start working on some things just between us which was a good positive step in us moving in that direction. So I share that to say, where are you? Where do you really take time to focus and enjoy each other? And it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, I mean, we live by the Lake Michigan here, so um, we can go for a drive and a walk down by uh, the beach and such. Uh, I'm sure there's some lake around your guys' place. Uh, but uh, but what... A pond, <laughs> okay. Um, so, so jump in the pond. Or, uh, or for the young ones that it's hard to get a sitter and get away, finances are tight, get the kids to bed early and take that time and block out that, carve off that time for you guys to talk. I am, su- yeah, I'm surprised how many couples I counsel don't uh, spend time together. Uh, not too long ago, counseling a couple, and uh, they hadn't had any dates or anything. Um, but I, I, So they had some serious issues, and this wasn't the main problem. But I, I said, you guys need to spend some time together. So I made the um, part of their homework was, um, so I see them every two weeks. In the next two weeks, I want you to get out and just spend some time together. I don't care what you do, but do that. So they come back the next time, and I said, how did your date go? Well, we were just too busy. We didn't have time, da-da-da. And my comment was, okay, well, we'll give the homework again. We went through that again. They didn't, too busy. And, uh, and I just said, you know what? Um, I, I don't understand. And I'd given them a little bit of reading to do, not a lot. And um, they hadn't done that either. And we're just busy. And I said, uh, it sounds like to me your marriage isn't a priority or you would put your energy into it. If you had cancer, would you not try to find out more about it and to take an is there a cure and such? When I had my kidney cancer and my prostate cancer, uh, the doctor recommended some reading and we did more research on the internet and such. Uh, we wanted to know what are we dealing with and what's my survival chance and what options do we have 
because I wanted to live. Becky wanted me to live more so than I probably <laughs> wanted to. But, um, but, you know, we took it seriously. And I would say, don't we take our marriage seriously in the sense that we're going to invest in this? Uh, sometimes couples will say, you know, we don't have anything in common. Uh, you know, our likes are different and such. Uh, I would say, surely there's something that attracted you to each other. What was that? And, and what can we go back to that we enjoyed doing? Uh, sometimes, you know, couples have different tastes or such. My comment is, is then one week he chooses and the next week she chooses uh, things that you enjoy. So we're both accommodating and uh, being gracious to the other person's preference. So, um, so you know, we put a, a kind of a list up here of just uh, date nights uh, or quality time together, getaways. I mean, that's something you're doing this weekend, which is huge. Um, hobbies that you enjoy. One of the things Becky and I enjoy doing is working in our backyard. We, uh, a few years ago, we put in a pond and waterfall, and we like uh, in the spring getting flowers and arranging and putting them places and uh, putting flowers on our deck and such. So um, we, we try to find some things we really enjoy doing together. Uh, be creative and just coming up with ideas. Uh, brainstorm. Ask other couples what they do. Um, we enjoy playing games. I don't know if you guys enjoy playing games, but um, that's kind of something just to connect and just have a take the stress off a little bit. Um, we do good on games as long as Becky wins. <laughs> so I'm not allowed to win, or the marriage doesn't go so well. It's just an editorial comment. So, <laughs> so. You know the old saying, happy wife, happy life. So, uh, so here's my, a couple questions I wrote down here. What are the hindrances to spending time together? If you're not doing it, it's not a priority. Why? Uh, what's going on inside of you that holds you back from doing that? And the second one is, what steps can we make that would uh, make spending time together a priority? So what changes do we need to make? We need to say no to some things, perhaps, um, or make some adjustments. But, I mean, let's think about taking some serious steps. So, um, Any questions? Uh, I don't want to take too much time on comments, but if there's any question or comment here, I'll take one or two. Okay. And I only say that is because I want to make sure we get through the rest of the material. So let's go to the closet, and um, what is the closet? So let me uh, just read it here to you. The closet is that space or place where we hide those things that we struggle with that we may not know how to deal with or we don't want to deal with. Our closets are often surrounded by shame and fear of what will, uh, what will our spouse, others, and God think of us. There may, be, uh, there may be things from our past that we've tried to ignore. Perhaps we are harboring attitudes, habits, bondages, unforgiveness, addictions, pride that we have not taken the initiative to confront and seek uh, freedom and healing. Are we willing to give Jesus the key to the closet and allow him to set us free from the bondage that Satan has kept us in? 
And I, I would say there are, I, th- I think for almost all of us, there's things that if you knew this about me, what would you think? What would you do with me? And there are things that perhaps we know we should be dealing with that we're not. And um, my question is, what's in your closet? Uh, we kind of give a list here a little bit. Um, it's, it's in your uh, notes. But uh, old things that uh, we haven't dealt with from our past. Uh, that's why I think like going through, through the heart and soul of a real marriage class helps you stop and take a look at your story. What's going on there? What, is, what are you really uh, carrying with you into the marriage? Things that uh, you, we have been hanging on to that we don't want to let go of. Uh, maybe there's some attitudes. Uh, maybe there's some uh, uh, not good habits that we have. Um, we, we, you know, I'm not ready to give this up. And I would ask why. We're afraid to admit that uh, what is hidden in our closet, like I would never share with anyone, and I'm not asking for a public confession except can you even admit that it's there and start with allowing God to search your heart in those areas? Uh, my suggestion is, uh, and we'll get to this uh, the next one, is uh, there, there's a lot of shame. And what's interesting is hiding doesn't cure shame. The only thing that deals, deals with shame is when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and expose ourselves, and that takes away the control of shame. There are things that we refuse to confront or deal with, and what uh, would our lives or marriage look like if we dealt with it? Uh, that, that's a fascinating question that uh, I often use in counseling. What would it look like if you were to take and deal with this? How would your life be different? How would your marriage be different? And it's like, and, or the question I ask, what would, what would a healthy husband do in this situation? I want to get a picture of what healthy, what godly looks like in this situation. And uh, when I'm hanging on to some of those things in the closet, how does that hinder me from being that person? So um, I don't know what's in your closet, but uh, can I just say God does? And yet we think somehow we're hiding it from him and getting away with it. And it's like, ugh, um, I thought I locked that door. But um, I, I like this illustration from uh, Jesus. When Jesus anointed the sinful um, woman. Remember, uh, Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house. It's been a little bit since I've read this. So um, he goes to the house and um, immediately this woman comes in who's a sinful woman, and uh, she starts washing Jesus' feet with perfume and such. And um, uh, the Pharisees say to Jesus, don't you know who she is? If you knew who she was, you wouldn't let her touch you. And here you're letting her. And uh, I I love what uh, Jesus says is is that, no, it's okay. And um, and then he he says this after dialoguing with the, the... Uh, Pharisees, he says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loves much. But he who has been, has, who has, he who has not, uh, I think I left a word out. He who has been forgiven little, loves little. Yeah, thank you. I was looking for the not, it's at the end. Okay. 
So he who has been forgiven little loves little. What, what does that mean? What, what's the context here? It, is that, you know what? When we allow ourselves to know, um, be known for who we are and the sinfulness there and expose ourselves, there's forgiveness that sets us free. And therefore, it allows us to be free to love well. And when I hide and try to hold on to things and, and don't, folks, it changes you and it changes your relationship and your marriage relationship. And the, the only freedom there is, can I really take and trust Jesus to take and deal with those issues and forgive me? It's, it's a good book. I haven't read it all the way through. I've read parts of it. And so and I appreciate you. It is. He likes to use big words, yep. but it is an excellent read. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. Excellent book. Uh, there is also a movie out there on his life uh, that's well worth reading. But uh, a dear guy who loved the Lord and sought the Lord, but he had stuff in his closet. Oh, yes. And uh, deep hurts and addictions, and uh, but yet he kept seeking God. So a powerful story. Yeah, I'll. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. We can't experience his full love. Yeah. Which is the thing we want, isn't it? So. So. Um, my, my question here is, is in this part here is, do, uh, do you trust Jesus enough to allow him to cleanse your closet and fix what is broken? Uh, I think the issue isn't can. Jesus do that? I think the question is, do I trust him to allow him to do that? And I would say, so what's holding you back? If, if, if it's someone like me, it's usually shame. And I think it's probably shame for all of us. But uh, with the conditioning of the way I was raised, what will people think of you? And you want to make sure you always look nice and such and be a poser. Um, it's really hard to be vulnerable. And uh, I will say this that uh, teaching the classes, excuse me, and working with uh, marriages, counseling and such, has taken me a long way in being vulnerable. Um, But you know what? That makes, I don't know how you guys feel when I'm vulnerable, but it does free me um, to be authentic and and to be real. And my hope is, is that you will see it and say, Uh, I can or I want to do the same thing. Uh, Because, you know what, uh, one of the things I learned in seminaries was this, is you can't take anyone any farther than what you've gone yourself. And I don't want to be a hindrance to anybody growing. And so if I'm going to pretend or let my pride get in the way, which it does, um, you know, I'm I'm hindering you. And so therefore, if we're to be authentic in a community and in the church, uh, it's like, with God's help, I'm going to be real. And uh, the church isn't for saints, it's for us messed up people and uh, to be loved. And I love the way Jesus accepted this woman and just, he saw her heart. And uh, so, no, thank you for your comments uh, there. Okay, uh, the next one is uh, the workroom. Just a a few thoughts here about this one. 
And that is, the, um, do you have that sheet? Uh, on the workroom. This is fine. Um, let me read the first part here. The workroom is the room where we invest in the, building the kingdom of God together. The workroom has been equipped with equipment, tools, and supplies, and gadgets. The question is are we taking advantage of the resources we have? The workroom represents the resources. Uh, and that is our spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, and skills that God has given us for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. And so, you know, we all have uh, gifts, spiritual gifts that God has given us and, uh, and natural abilities and such. What I find amazing is how many times they're wasted. Could you imagine what God could do through you if your heart was in the right place and you were to say, and, and God, I want to be used uh, however you choose to, to use me because you've gifted me with, with some things. I honestly believe that when we get to heaven, uh, we're going to be accountable for certain things. And I'm, I, I think two questions that jump in my mind is this. Granted, uh, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, so I'm going into heaven. I don't think God's going to ask the question, Don uh, and Becky, did you have a good marriage? I don't think God's going to ask about how good our marriage was. I think God will say, Don, how well did you love Becky? Because I'm responsible for my part. Becky, how well did you love Don? The other thing I think God will ask is, um, you know what, I, I equipped you with certain gifts and uh, talents and uh, why didn't you use them why didn't you take advantage of them like well Lord I was too busy or I wasn't sure or I was shy I can't do anything well which are all lies by the way but you know what and, and it's like um, so if you would for a second just share about um why you had difficulty teaching up here with me and um, how that the robbed you version. of the short version. Yes. Okay. Um, one of my wounds is um, when I was in 4-H, um, it was the awards banquet. And I, if you, you don't know me, but if you did know me, you know I like... <laughs> like prizes, I like awards, I like gifts. So I was excited and I thought, well, maybe I want an award for my sewing or my cooking. So we're sitting down in the group and um, one of my peers is up on the stage calling off the names and somehow I heard my name. So I get up and I'm standing up on the stage with all the other people and they're all getting their awards until I'm the only one left. And the kid said, what are you doing up here? And I said, I thought I heard my name. And he said, stupid fool, I didn't call your name. And he made some comment, and everybody laughed. And I died a million deaths right in front of everybody. So I went back to my seat. If I could have been invisible, I would have. If I could have hidden under my chair, I would have. And that... That night, I made a vow. First of all, I believed a lie. 
I believed I was a fool and I was stupid. And I made a vow that I would never set myself up to be in front of people to to show my stupidity or my foolishness. And I stuck to it. I avoided speech class. I avoided anything where I would be up in front of people. So fast forward, we get married. He wants to start a ministry. I said, and he wants me to be a part of it. I said, I'll, I'll type anything you want. I'll do everything behind the scenes. But I can't be up here. And for years, that's the way it was. Until I got some counseling and I remembered the story more and understood the lie and the vow I made. And I came back and I shared with Don that story. And I would like to say that immediately after that, I was able to sit up here and and minister with him, but it took a while. But what made me really, really sad and heartsick was the fact that I allowed Satan to rob me of many years of ministering with my husband here. And I'm glad I'm past that now. And guess what? You don't die when you're up here sharing. I thought I was going to die, and I didn't. And I don't. Of course, I was a loving, supportive husband. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, trying to encourage her, which it never worked. Uh, I told her that she should be teaching with me that... You know, other couples teach together. Why wouldn't she? And and that um, I said she wasn't spiritual. I thought that one would surely work. Um, and uh, just, you know, different things. I had no idea what her story was, okay? So I, I, I didn't know why she had struggle, except she should do it. And um, And once I heard the story, you know, yeah, I can understand. Uh, I'm not saying I even handled that quite right, but um, that's for another time. But um, but what I want to say, that's why in, in Bridge Life, we stress so much, learn your spouse's story. Because of what how they live out their lives and their relationship comes out of their story. And if you don't understand that, then you're probably going to take some things wrong. Number two is that how do you know how to love and minister to your spouse if you don't know their story? Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is for the purpose of building others up, or your spouse, according to their needs. In other words, you build them up according to her needs, not what I think she needs. And the only way I can know her needs is if I listen to her story and what's in her heart. And do we take the time to do it? And my suggestion would be part of your... Uh, date night it should be talking about your stories not just going to a movie which is fine um, what I often say is uh, Becky and I do not spend every date night sitting down talking about um, uh, deep things in our marriage if so we wouldn't have date nights Okay, it would get kind of uh, scary after a while but uh, about once a month, we say, let's just sit down and talk about how are we doing in our marriage? Where are we at? What do we need to be working on and such? Uh, the other times we have fun. So, 
But uh, we want to make sure we talk about some of those things. Um, so, um, yeah, my, my question is simply, what if you weren't so scared? What if you didn't believe the lie you have nothing to offer or nobody would care? How do you think, how could you envision how God would want to use you? Could you use you? And particularly even as a couple. So some questions here. What resources has God given you? What are you both passionate about in serving God? What is holding you back from being used? And what steps could you take to use your resources? And if you're not sure, that's okay. Start praying about it. I believe the Holy Spirit knows our heart and deeply cares about uh, us being used for the kingdom. And I think there's nothing better than our marriages being used for his kingdom. And um, God has you together for a reason. So um, we're not going to waste this relationship. So those are a few thoughts on the workroom um, that we have. Any questions or comments there? Yeah, yeah. No, well said. Um, give me an example. Yeah, one of my favorite passages is Paul's thorn in the flesh that he asked three times that uh, Satan remove it, and he doesn't. But in the midst of that, it's um, uh, God says, or, or Paul says that, um, you know, God said, I, I'll use your thorn. I, I can't even think of the passage uh, or the, how the verse goes at the moment. But uh, when I was in seminary and working on things, I began to realize I'm messed up, and I got baggage I'm carrying the program came to an end, at least that part, and uh, we sat down with the professor, which was Dan Allender at the time, and so I asked him, uh, man, this has been really helpful. I've learned a lot. I'm starting to work on some things in my life that I see, and uh, am I going to be okay? Am I going to not struggle with some of these things anymore? And I distinctly remember he just sat there and went, no, you're not going to get over these things. And I thought to myself, and I, I, just my heart sunk, like, then why am I working so hard on these things? And his comment was, he says this, Don, if, and these are probably some of the most important words that ever been spoken to me. He said, Don, your struggles keep you dependent on God. Now, could God take them away? He absolutely could. I've seen people, God take issues away from people where they don't struggle again. Praise the Lord. That hasn't happened to me and a lot of other people, but God can do it. But always God knows what's best because here's what, if God did that to me, if I didn't, if I didn't struggle with my low self-worth and, and feeling incompetent and a number of other things, uh, I would say this, and I know my heart, and it would be, Lord, thank you for doing that. I'll call you if I need you again, but I'm doing pretty okay. Okay, I'm not depending on God anymore because I got it together. And I believe that sometimes God allows our struggles and our inadequacies to draw us closer to him and to make us dependent on him. Some of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon, uh, a great uh, preacher um, in the 18th century. Uh, but um, he struggled immensely with uh, depression, 
Of course, they didn't have the medications and such that they have today. But, uh, but he, he wrote a, a little book. He's written a number of books. But in it, uh, one of them he wrote, uh, Dark Days, Dark Nights, something like that, talking about his depression. And one of the comments he makes in there, which I find absolutely fascinating, was he said, if I were, to, if I were able to ask God to take away my depression, I wouldn't do it. He says, because I have come to know God in ways that I never would have understood or seen if it were not for my depression. Now, could you and I pray that in the sense of whatever our inadequacies are? In the sense of, so Don Smith, uh, I would love not to have to struggle with feeling incompetent. And what if I prayed something like this, but Lord... uh, I would rather you not take away my feelings of incompetence because it would probably go to my head, you know, and, uh, and then I wouldn't be so dependent on you. And so I would prefer to keep the, the, my struggle with incompetency and learn just to totally trust on you. I, I think that would be very godly, very appropriate. Because that's what God cares about more. If you remember, the verse pops in my verse in Psalms, verse comes to my mind uh, the context is this is, is God says to the children of Israel he says do not gather chariots and horses okay now why so the children of Israel are going into the promised land and they're fighting all these ones and God says but don't have chariots and horses like the others do well how are we going to win the battle if we don't so why would God say that except this? God wanted them to depend on him and not the chariots and horses. He said, trust me, because I want to get the glory. And I would say, what are we hanging on to to make us feel adequate where we're not trusting God? And um, so, yeah, uh, we could keep talking, but uh, you got the idea here, I think. So, okay, yes. <coughs> What you're listening to is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries from their 2019 Couples Weekend. The focus is prioritizing your marriage. To learn more about the ministry, you can go to bridgetolife.org. Now back to Don and Becky Smith. I think that's a good point that if we don't use our gifts, um, our faith does decrease because when we use them, it causes us to trust God more. And so, good point. Well, let's go to the war room and um, kind of just think through that this whole thing. Um, so what is the war room? And here's uh, what I put down. The war room is the secluded place where we go to uh, commune with God and to find the resources to fight the battles we face. Probably a number of you have uh, seen the movie The War Room. Have you not? Okay, good. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's a good movie to see. It really puts emphasis on no matter what you face, and it's in the context of a couple having marriage problems, but really going to God and trusting God and, and petitioning God and uh, putting our dependence on him. And uh, so uh, what the, it's interesting. After the movie came out, a lot of people, at least some I've counseled, 
we're uh, clearing out a little room or closet and making a prayer room or a war room. And uh, it kind of caught on. I don't know if people are still doing that. But uh, I'd like to think of that as we have a war room. If we don't, mentally we need to start. Uh, if you can't do it physically, which is okay, um, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a room in your house that way. But I think we need to have a place where we commune with God. Where Maybe it's, it could be any place. Um, so my question is, how long has it been since you've really taken the time to get away and just commune with God? Um, I know our lives are busy. Mine is busy. Um, and I, I have to work hard to block out time to uh, spend with him. I do a lot of studying. I do a lot of uh, uh, writing and such, and that causes me to get into the Word and, and read different things. But um, there's also that time just to say, Lord, I'm just here with you. As I read the Scripture, how do you want to talk to me? Lord, I pour my heart out to you. Here's how, where I'm really at. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's how much I love you in spite of where I'm at and uh, there's something about I I think God just takes incredible pleasure in communing with us and um, so let's look at a few things about that Um, excuse me this thought just popped into my head as a couple we need a date night to help us stay connected Mm -hmm. as a believer we need a date time with God to stay connected. Same kind of relationship. Yes. Yeah. No, good good analogy. Thank you. So why is it important to have a war room? Um, first of all, can I just put it this way that our marriages are under attack by Satan. Um Put it briefly this way. There's a trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, when we say the trinity, we're talking about the oneness of God. So you have the oneness there. It's interesting in John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross, and he says, he's praying for the believers, and he says, I pray that they would be one like you and I are one. So Jesus greatly desires that as the body of Christ, there's oneness. So we have it with the Godhead and with the believers. But also we have it with marriage uh, in in that uh, in Genesis chapter 2, and the two shall become one flesh. In Matthew, Jesus reiterates that when he's being questioned about divorce. And he said, um, in, in the beginning it was intended that the two shall become one flesh. So oneness is a theme of Scripture as it relates to this. Now, what did, what did Satan try to do? Satan tried to take and overthrow God and mess things up. He didn't attack. As I said the other night, that now Satan says, I'm going to attack God's image bearers, that's you and me, and he wants to take and destroy the oneness of our marriage relationship. Not for one moment should we think that our marriages are immune from God attacking them. It concerns me that in the church we kind of have the mindset 
that there's those marriages that are bad in the sense of not that they're bad people, but they're, you know, those, the, that couple is really struggling and they're going through some stuff and he or she had an affair or this or that or they filed for divorce and they really need help. As if all the rest of us are doing just fine, we don't need help. What I would say, I think we need more help than they do. Because we're so, um, what's the word I want, but conditioned to just pretending and getting by and not doing anything serious that Satan says, I don't have to have Don and Becky get a divorce to mess things up. They're not doing anything anyhow. You know, they're so busy with their life and messing with this and that and bickering back and forth. They're taken care of. I'm going to go after somebody else. And I, I believe that in the church, we need to wake up and say, what are we doing with our marriages? It looks good on the surface, but there's a lot inside that I believe God needs to stir up in us to get us to walk in what real oneness is. And I think we've put our emphasis in some of the wrong places. So how does Satan attack? Um, I, I believe uh, I, I'm a big uh, uh, believer in looking at our wounds because I believe what has happened, and let me just put this in context, that Don Smith is born, but he's born into a sinful world that isn't right. Things do not go as they should. Things happen, parents don't even love well. And in the midst of that, we're wounded. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally. As you heard Becky's uh, wound and her story about uh, the 4-H uh, club thing. But out of that, we believe lies about ourselves. Lies that hold us captive as you heard PJ, and I wanted him, I, I didn't know he had never shared his story publicly because uh, when, when we were sitting with him before, a few weeks ago, he just shared it freely like everybody knew. And, uh, and I thought, that's a cool story, and there's a lot behind that. And uh, I don't think he totally understands. I don't know. I don't, I'm not trying to judge him, but I'm just simply saying, um, you know what? But he, he's got an idea in the sense that he thought he was bad, and he believed that lie. He doesn't use the word lie, but it's a lie that he learned to believe, and therefore he deserved bad things to happen to him. And that has controlled his life all along. My question is, what lies have you believed about yourself that somehow that you're no good, you're not worthwhile, or you're incompetent, um, you're not lovable, but the, the, the question is, is Satan has planted lies with those wounds and stories that cause us to take and think wrongly of ourselves, which have, therefore affects our marriage relationship. And Satan says, yeah, I got you in the bag. Folks, we have to study our story and compare it to the truth of what God says about us. Because we're believing this over here. We're believing the lies. We're living out the lies. Instead of like, so God, here's my lies. But I want to know what your, tr- your truth is. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Um, so what lies do you believe? 
I, I want to give the example here of, uh, it's not in your notes, for some reason I, I skipped this when I made your, your notes there. But do you notice what Jesus said about Satan? This is in John eight forty four. if you want to put, this is the only reference I think I it's, left out. It's in there. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, I was looking at the wrong place. Then. I think so. Maybe not. Is it on, uh, okay, well, good. <laughs> yes. Yours are inspired, evidently. <laughs> Um, so here's what he says. It's one of my favorite verses. Not that I like that Satan's a liar, but it just nails it. He says, Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He has a, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. (laughs) Why do we believe anything? It's a, so what is a native language? When I, when I go uh, next week, everything I teach will be translated because that's their native language and they understand that best. That comes natural for them. For Satan, that's his natural language. Except he doesn't need an interpreter. He gets his message across. But the reality here is that... Um, that's the only language he knows is to lie. And, and isn't it interesting that we often think like, but you know what, uh, he, he hasn't told me any lies lately. Well, there's one right there, you know, in the sense of there is, we're bombarded with him here. We need to take inventory of our hearts and get to know ourselves. If we do not know ourselves, we cannot love our spouse the way that we were designed to. So, how do we engage um, in the spiritual warfare that I think we need to? I think the best example um, is uh, the story of Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Would you mind reading that? Um, on, um, okay, the temptation of Jesus? Yeah, the, okay. yeah. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him high up on a, up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Wow. That is... I don't understand spiritual things, warfare. But here's what blows my mind. How in the world could Satan think that he could somehow lie, get Jesus to believe a lie? Jesus is the truth. 
He knows the truth. He knows the word. And yet Satan attacks him. And my point is, if he does it to to Jesus, doesn't he do it to us? And do you notice the lies? There's three lies he, he throws out to Jesus here. One is, if you are the son of God, the big word is if. He is the son of God. But he puts that little doubt in there. But if you are, then da, da, da. Has he used that with you and me? I know me. Don, if you're really a Christian and know Jesus Christ, why are you struggling with this? Or, Don, if, if you're um, going to be used, you've got to be more competent. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not that good. Nobody wants to listen. I, I, I'll share this real quick. Um, from time to time, I'm asked to uh, speak at our church. There's several in our church that will preach. Um, and so on this one occasion, this is several years ago, and uh, I was preaching on a a passage in Ephesians about God's love, and just studying it just uh, uh, touched me deeply, and uh, it it just like, man, you can't wait to preach because all this is going on inside of you that you're understanding about God's love, and so I, I went and preached, and uh, a number of people came up afterwards and said, Don, thank you so much. That really encouraged me, or it was this or that. Um, as the week went on, I, I got a note. I never get a note uh, about my speaking, and they just said, thank you for your message, and da-da-da. Uh, I got a couple emails, and I don't get emails on that either. And uh, it's like, so I save them and frame all these things. No. <clears throat> but anyhow, like, Wow. So I thought, you know what? I, I just poured my heart into that message. And to me, it was one of my more powerful messages. And that night, our son, Andres, he was still in high school. He went to the youth group. And he went, um, and in the youth group, they talked about my message earlier in the morning. So Andres comes home and says, Dad, we talked about your message uh, this morning. Hmm? Man, they're talking about my message. You know, that's kind of nice. And uh, he said, uh, well, this one parent um, sponsor for the youth group said that uh, they didn't care too much for your message. Uh, Really? Uh, What did they say? They said, you told too many stories and this and that. I was devastated. I poured my heart into that message, and I thought it was a good one. Yeah, do I use stories? Of course. Jesus used parables, you know, and people remember those things. And the more I thought about, the angrier I got. They don't ask him to preach. They ask me to preach. You know, I'm better than him. What does he know? (laughs) And then the more I thought about it, it's it's like, um, I'm not going to preach there again. Yeah, I'll show them. You know, it's like, um, no, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, if that's what they think of me, I'm not going to put myself in that position. All this stuff is running through my mind, and it's like, oh. And I would say, where is that coming from? From deep in the core of me that, Don, you're not enough. You don't have what it takes. And this just proved it. And I choose to believe a lie at that moment. It took me a few days to figure out what was going on in that 
done. You're messing with the lie again and believing the lie. That's why you're getting so angry now. And it's like, Lord, you've given me a few gifts. I want to use them faithfully, irregardless of what people... People weren't excited about what Jesus said. Why do, I, why do I have to have everybody be happy about me? There may be some of you that will leave this weekend and think, that's the greatest thing we've ever heard, and I will be pleased. <laughs> and there's others of you that say, who in the world does Don think he is? And I sure don't want to go back to one of the couple's getaways. Hope you don't then. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't want you either. <laughs> no. You know what? It's the core. All this crap is going on inside of me. Am I going to let that control my life? And then I live in shame and fear and all this stuff and bondage? He who is forgiven much loves much. And he who has been forgiven little loves little. And when I start dealing with that, I can love you no matter what. And I'm free to give up myself because I know who I serve. And so what I want you just to see from this is that Satan tries to take and feed lies to Jesus, and he doesn't buy it. And as you see, Jesus quotes Scripture. Do we even know Scripture enough to confront the lies we believe? One of the things we try to get our folks in our class to do is... um, What are the lies you believe about yourself? And then what are the truths that you need to know that go with that? It's one thing to say, oh, this is my lie. But do you know what the truth is? Folks, take the time to get in God's word or sit down with somebody and begin to say, here's my lies and I need some help finding some truths because I want to combat uh, combat, uh, Satan with these lies. jumped out of me after reading it I don't know how many times is where Satan quotes scripture mm-hmm. and that takes me back to being disguised as an angel of light and how he can like so many people do just take a part of scripture to beat us over the head with and if we don't know the whole thing we cannot yeah Use that to fight them. Yeah. No, good point. Uh, Satan is very familiar with Scripture, and he's going to use it and twist it. And so, no, thank you for sharing that. So a uh, couple more things here. So how do we oppose uh, Satan? Uh, I put the passage in there, uh, but it's talking about the armor of God. Uh, put on the armor of God so that you can uh, take your stand against the devil's schemes. And it goes through that. Because of time, I'm not going to read it here. But uh, we, we have to learn uh, how to put on the armor and to combat these things. What sets us free? The, the sentence in, uh, is it in your notes there? What sets us free is not, knowing, is not knowing the truth, but rather believing it. It's not the knowledge that, okay, I know God loves me, but do you really believe it? And some of us have a head knowledge, but it hasn't gotten down here. And uh, we have to keep working on that. Um, so I, I like the passage in Second um, Timothy. I think it's a good verse to talk about spiritual warfare. Uh, but God, inst- so Paul is talking about those who are being... Uh, not obeying and, and having problems with. So let me read it here. 
And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be uh, kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses, escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Do you see what's going on here? Don't argue and fight with somebody who's believing in lies of Satan and is entrapped in Satan. And sometimes, I, I know sometimes in the early days of counseling, I used to take it on as like, you're not believing it and I gotta somehow convince you. And it's, it's just futile and, I, and I'm frustrated that they don't. And uh, the Lord just showed me the verses here that he said, Don, don't quarrel with them but gently instruct with the hope that God will grant them repentance. It's God who does the work. And so as, as I'm dealing with, with, whether it's Becky, my kids, or other people here, I'm just responsible to share and let the Holy Spirit do it. It takes a huge load off. The other day I, I sat down, a husband, his wife is uh, filing for divorce, and he's he's distraught and, and just really struggling. So I, I, in the office there, I just said, got out my Bible, and I said, um, let, let's just read these verses here. And so I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to not use her name. I'll use the name Mary, okay, just for the sake of a name. But, and the Lord's servant, which is this husband, I'll call him Jim, and Jim must not quarrel with Mary. Instead, he must be kind to Mary, able to teach, not resentfully. Jim, who, uh, uh, let's see, I got to keep this straight. Mary, who opposes Jim, must, uh, he must gently instruct her in the hope that God will grant her repentance, leading her, Mary, to the knowledge of the truth. And that Mary will come to her senses and escape the trap of the devil and has come um, and has been taken captive to do Satan's will. I, what I'm saying is, what does it look like when I personalize it in the sense of here's what and how I should be responding in a difficult situation? And because we're in a spiritual uh, warfare here and God wants us to respond, so I share that with you. So on page four, it's here we are. Uh, the pathway to freedom. Um, these are these are my thoughts here. I'm sharing with you, and I'm sure a lot more could be said and developed here. But I don't want to be stuck believing lies and feeling inadequate in spiritual warfare. When we don't look inside, we suffer the consequences. And many of us are struggling unnecessarily because we don't even want to look inside and really see what's going on. And so if you don't look inside, how can you be set free? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a martyr. Um, he was, during World War II, he was, a, I think, a Baptist uh, pastor in uh, Germany and uh, a great theologian. And... Um, <laughs> He uh, was in Germany. He left for the U.S. And then when the persecution got bad, he, just, he felt like God wanted him back in Germany to minister to the people there. 
and he was arrested for helping the Jews and such. And um, just a, uh, a week or two before the end of the war, he was hung. And um, a very godly man, and uh, there's a book out on his life and a number of do- uh, different things out. But um, here's what he said. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I don't know if he was talking about literally dying because he wrote this before he died, which is obvious. Um, But (laughs) I didn't know if anybody was awake. (laughs) But um, you know what? Die to self. That's what we started off this whole weekend on. Die to self. And and when, when Jesus calls us as a husband or wife, he's saying, Don, die to self so you can love Becky, so that you can serve me in the midst of whatever is going on here. Um, I I don't think Jesus says, hang on to your old self and and your selfishness and lies, but do the best you can serving me. He's calling us out to give it all, which is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. We need to have the courage to be imperfect. Now you're wondering, why in the world did I throw that in there? Um, what, what, is, what is happening here is that I think a lot of us feel like we have to be perfect, we have to look good, we have to have it together, and um, it doesn't work. Um, technically, pr- being perfectionist is uh, what we'd call a, a, a way of self-protection. In other words, it's my mechanism to say, I am pretty good in my own strength in my own being here and guess what uh, I, I really don't have to depend on Christ because I, I'm going to look perfect I got to control things so they go my way that I don't have to struggle and when we do that we don't really depend on God and so um, we need uh, the courage to be vulnerable how do we become vulnerable uh, to be open to share you guys are going to go back to church this next uh, today. And uh, um, one of the things that uh, I, I don't know your church other than a few of your people from the past here, but um, what would it look like to say, we're going to go back and, and we're really going to be committed to Christ and we're going to use our marriage and we want to be used and uh, we're not going to pretend anymore. And we're going to just really take and with our humble brokenness, how can we serve God? We don't have to be perfect. We're going to be vulnerable. And we want other people to see that God can use broken people. There's two things that I think are necessary for courage to be vulnerable. Did you know that the word courage comes from the word heart? In other words, it really comes from our heart that is, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to give it myself here. The word vulnerable means to, to wound or means to be open to attack. It's the idea, vulnerability means you can hurt me. I'm taking the risk if I share something for you to hurt me because I was vulnerable. When I take and am vulnerable, I am vulnerable. Um, yes, I'm open to attack and what you think and what you might say. But in reality, Can you hurt me? No. Because I don't get my worth from you guys. I get it from my Heavenly Father. He's the one who made me. 
And the result of that is he has much to say about me. And so therefore, as I said the other day, yesterday I think it was, is that whatever you think of me is so minute compared to how bad I really am inside. And yet there's a heavenly father that loves me immensely because he sees all of it and he still chooses to love me. Yes. Picture came in my mind. How many of you have dogs? Think of your dogs. That vulnerability. When that dog lays down on his back and offers you his belly, that's vulnerability. That dog is yielding to whatever you may do to it. Good. Thank you. True. So I wonder how much of my personal woundedness gets in the way of really loving Becky and being used of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but uh, my insecurities, my need for approval, my fears, my pride, does that get in in the way of being used? And so the Pharisees here uh, uh, who loved money and... uh, heard all these things and they sneered at Jesus, he said to them, this is in Luke 16, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. That is highly, that what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. In other words, what we think is important here is really nothing in God's sight. And yet we're all out to impress men. And he says, uh, What's more important is with God. And I would just say, where have we placed our values? What you have just heard is a podcast from Bridge to Life Ministries from their 2019 Couples Weekend. The focus has been prioritizing your marriage, and you have heard session number one. Sessions two, three, and four will be broken down into the rooms in our marriage relationships, looking to our hearts. Be sure and listen next week to this podcast from the Couples Weekend of Bridge to Life Ministries with Don and Becky Smith. If you'd like more information, you can go to bridgetolife.org.